So this week we're here with Mandy and Kate, which uh, many of you will know from Love Sober. And we're here because it is National Autism Day coming up very soon. It's going to be today. I can't quite remember, but, but it's around about now. And many of us have been starting and seeing some discussions about neurodiversity and alcohol. And also for those who might have children who've got neurodiversity issues around where alcohol plays a part there. So today, uh, Mandy and Kate, who have been thinking through this issue and have got some experiences of their own, are going to have a conversation, which we hope to be really a starting point to exploring this discussion further in the future and hearing more about people's experiences. So we can begin to work out a little bit more about how we all support each other when it comes to alcohol and neurodiversity. So welcome, Mandy and Kate. Uh, Hi, Hi. thanks for having us. Oh, no, well, it's, it's really great. And I'm so pleased that you, like I said, you brought this topic about exploring those things between neurodiversity and addictive behaviours and self-medicating. I think, you know, I, I understand the word neurodiversity. I've got friends who use it quite a lot, but I also realise that I'm in my little bubble. Lots of people might not know what euro, neuro, ugh, neurodiversity, something else, what neurodiversity means. <laughs> um, t- t- tell us what it means. Yeah, so it was, um, I mean, it's also called a being neurodivergent as well. And the idea is that that before 1990, some of the kind of um, things like dyslexia, dyscalculia, ADHD, autism um, were, were starting to be kind of discovered, but were seen as just sort of disorders, you know, were even called kind of aberrations and things like that. Um, and so neurodiversity is this is a new approach that really sees them as just differences. So all of our brains being different, having strengths and weaknesses and obviously challenges that if they're not supported, met and understood can cause you know, can cause the individual problems, which is what we've we've started to, you know, discover in our own lives and in our sort of family situations and in the sober community. So to in a nutshell, it's like it's it's seeing these differences now of all of these kind of conditions, and I'm doing bubble quotes, as just yeah, just normal differences rather than something that is wrong with people. Yeah, and I think that's really important because, you know, we all know that we're slightly different. I know I have a different learning style to my partner and and that's, you know, probably doesn't impact hugely on my life and isn't very noticeable to the outside world, but it is a way in which we're different. And then, you know, there are then conditions that um, that are a bit more obvious and a bit more impactful on people's lives when we're very much built a society around one way of being. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And we're not very good at um, adapting society to our different ways of of interacting with the world. So, Kate, um, you talked. Um, the reason why we brought this up is you began to see some some of these issues because you you parent a child with autism. Is that right? Mm, that's right. Atypical autism, which means that it's you don't fit the criteria for kind of full autism. It means you have traits. So somewhere on the spectrum. Um, and yes, and also ADHD. And tell me a bit more about that experience and what that revealed for you personally, because that was really through the through dealing with that, you, you, you've discovered about yourself. So tell me a little bit more about mm. that. I know that Mandy's got an experience too. 
Yeah, I mean, we've been piecing this together, uh, which is one of the reasons why we really wanted to have this conversation today. And I mean, I was aware that, that my son, we always said he was wired slightly differently. Um, just sort of bright, sort of shone like a diamond from a, an early age, huge amounts of energy. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it and nor could the family. And in um, in primary school, he was pretty well supported and he was sort of just seen as a bit lively, a bit naughty. As a lot of boys, you know, there is a gender piece there. A lot of boys who can't sit still um, and who are learning differently. They, you know, they're obvious. They're, they're the scene is naughty, basically, and really the wheels didn't really come off the wagon until early secondary school, when all of a sudden we realised we were having suspensions. He was getting into loads of trouble, and he ended up getting uh, kicked out. He ended up getting expelled. And during this time, I was saying, "There's something going on here. We're missing something here." And um, I, his old head teacher, had left teaching to actually work in neurodiversity. Uh, so she was a huge champion, and I phoned her up. I was just desperate. I thought, "What can I do?" I hadn't even seen the um, the SEN at that that point. You know, the special educational needs department. We hadn't been. They just said, "No, no," because he was clever. No, no, that's absolutely fine. So I phoned up this wonderful woman, Kit, and I'll um, I'll give you the the resource to her her company uh, at the end because she works in this area. Um, and she said, "Oh, it sounds like executive something to do with this executive function." Um, so trying to see the SEN and, and, you know, say this, but by the time I'd actually got through the school system, which is a big part of this discussion for us as parents, um, he'd been suspended. And by that point, the wheels started to come off the, the wagon really, really, really quickly. Um, he started to get in trouble in the neighborhood, um, take really big risk taking behavior. He got hospitalized. And we still, we hadn't seen CAMS by this point. We hadn't, you know, all we'd done is got kicked out of the educational system. So we really had to do a lot of learning really, really fast. So suddenly cramming everything together, trying to cope with this situation led me down this path finally to CAMS and to them to start mentioning words like ADHD. Um, and a private diagnosis then of of autism, atypical autism and ADHD. But literally, we, we were not picked up by by the school system. So yeah, that's that was my sort of baptism by fire, really. And then with working with my son, piecing together my own family and my own self, like because I uh, we we realised that we all have you know sensory needs we all are ticking slightly differently and this sort of picture started to emerge gradually yeah and I think there's one thing here as well is that you know when we're sort of looking within the community and the women that we work with and and a lot of mums you know the shame and the the story around motherhood um, you know, and having a child that has um, extra needs and not knowing and then, you know, the press, the absolute pressure of just managing them and, and how, you know, knowing how they tick and trying to fit. I mean, it's this normative culture, right, which we talk about with alcohol all the time. It's like the normative thing is to to do is drink whether it's good for you or not and a lot of us are like when we step out it's like okay my mental health is better you know my my life is better but without alcohol in it um and I think a, a lot of that is 
works with kids too you know we're trying to shove them in a box in an education system that is not working for them and so we feel shame and blame that they're not managing it in the system um and it can as it happened with Kate it you know it escalated extremely quickly Quickly. so there's there's those two elements of not only the experience of of a mum who perhaps was drinking to cope you know partly because of the stress of having a child that was you know quote marks difficult um but also from the point of view of just yeah like dealing with that child and their sort of propensity to try and act out or numb out or find ways to cope you know which was what was happening wasn't Mm. it I think there's something really interesting about societal norms in all of this which uh interests me which is that um because you may because experience that you have with your child um or because of how you might feel in yourself Um, and therefore not normal, not a normal parent or not a normal person, we are encouraged to drink as being the normal response, which then, of course, hides everything and and means that your reactions to these situations aren't normal because you're not coping with them. You're actually hiding them and and making things worse. But that's okay because society says it's normal. There's a whole, Mm. it's like a melting pot of, oh, I can't believe Yeah. Yeah, that's where it feels for me and I think you know often people talk about needing to understand why you drink that there must be one big thing that happened and what I've realized over the years is that it's not one big thing it may be just a slight feeling of otherness that you might have or, or something that you feel that you're not particularly doing in the way that society asks of you and therefore you drink with it because because drinking is so normalized that could be about your sexuality yeah. would be a big thing for me yeah but but you both talk about that feeling of other if there's a way that you don't compute the world in quite the same way that means mm. your drink to respond to that yeah and I yeah. certainly had that with with my story you know because I had a you know I have complex PTSD I had a very traumatic experience when I was 18 and so when I was trying to pick put together my kind of drinking story it was like okay that's a huge part of it but it wasn't everything you know and so I was like but there was something before that like why did I go down into that sort of behavior of drugs and alcohol at a very early age you know 12 13 sort of trying to sort of leave myself and be someone else or people please or or be someone different you know and so then you start tracking your experience with school and it was like well I was always naughty and I was always the one that was you know told to leave or didn't get it or was always opinionated you know and all these things but I'm highly highly sensitive you know so now sort of understanding about being an empath and being sort of an HSP a highly sensitive person and understanding that as a kind of a neurodiverse profile in itself you know and and Kate was talking about sensory needs you know these are super practical things that we're starting to understand it's like you know I get overwhelmed when there's a lot of noise and a lot of light and a lot going on you know so of course when I'd go into a pub and it was really busy the first thing I do was like to manage my anxiety and the overwhelm of that sensory experience was to head to the bar and you know drink two drinks that's what I would do I'd like go to the bar I'd have one at the bar whilst you know I had to carry the other one across the pub to find my mates but I like literally was searching for that one thing just to go and just to make it go a bit quieter so when people can start understanding things like that like what are your sensory needs like 
you know, and being a parent again, like it's a lot of noise, you know, like now I have these amazing kind of um, noise reduction headphones, you know, and you turn them on and literally my nervous system regulates. It's like, okay. And I can be there for my son. I can give him a big cuddle, but I don't have to listen to manga cartoons at the same time because I actually find it super, super stressful. So, you know, when you, as you say, it's like, it's not just one thing, it's this experience. Mm. And because I was super sensitive all my life, I was kind of told that that wasn't a good trait, right? It was like, you know, don't wear your heart on your sleeve, Mandy. You're too open. You're too sensitive. You're, um, yeah, you're, you're too much. And so that made me other. That made me different to what I thought I was supposed to be. And so all of these things kind of, yeah, become the story, mm. I guess. And Kate's very much the same, aren't you? Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that there was that not coping with with secondary school that very I realized because of my experience of parenting my son and by the time we knew all of this thankfully I was sober and I could start to piece together the resources and also and and recognize some of what was going on with me I'd I'd kind of done a bit of work so I had a bit of a bit of groundwork there but what it what I because I was always called a diva because I couldn't eat in restaurants if the lighting wasn't right and I mean, that is, to be fair, that is a bit diva-like, right? But Me. it literally... I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, I not <laughs> But I, I, I would, what it was was triggering anxiety for me. Like, I can't, so I'm very light-sensitive, very visual. Um, and so understanding, like Mandy said, the sort of, the sort of sensory needs of the family um, and being able to advocate for them and to help him and then recognize it in me and then maybe recognize it in my daughter it meant that we could start having a different conversation which then I was seeing what we were seeing was being mirrored in the sober community it was amazing how many women that we were talking to and how many clients I have weirdly once we start getting talking they either have a child who is neurodiverse, has been diagnosed, or they they identify as neurodiverse themselves. Somewhere on this spectrum, very highly sensitive, or there's, you know, the other the other side of this, if you're looking at ADHD, for example, and when you talked about this, this picture emerging, um, some of the traits of ADHD and what's going on in that that frontal bit of the brain is impulsivity, immediate gratification. Um, being able to self-regulate, being able to, to, um, to yeah, to to regulate your impulsivity, and when you think about how we used drinking, you know, like that, the binging, the kinds of fuck it button that people talk about, and this being going round and round, it's amazing how much it segues into that kind of self-medicating. But also that sort of impulsive behavior and immediate gratification thing that we see. Um, so, yeah, we were just starting to piece piece all this together. Um, and, the, and then there's also that, that idea that, that Mandy was sort of saying about trauma. The other side of this is that it's traumatic for people who living in an ableist society, going through an educational system, who are neurodiverse. And we know the links between trauma and 
and alcohol use, right, and addictive behaviours. So again, it's like, okay, we've got, we, we're ticking slightly differently, but then we've got this big social piece that's treating us differently. We're getting kicked out of schools. We're getting shamed in the classroom. We're not made to write with our right hands anymore if we're left-handed. But, you know, there's still a long way to go, right? Um, so, yeah. We, we can be seen to be normal is, of course, to drink because that's a societal norm. But, of course, then we're using it as a coping mechanism, a self-soothing mechanism. And then by being continually hung over and under the effects of alcohol, you fail to give yourself any space to recognize what's going on underneath. And I think that's, yeah. uh, you know, the three ways that alcohol affects you uh, in, in neurodiverse terms. And that's probably only the start of the list of mm. what you begin to point to. Yeah, because then you've also got, you know, the the more you use substances, the more your frontal cortex is going to be impaired, the less your executive functions of being able to, your brain isn't working. So you, you might already have a vulnerability and then it's going to make it worse. If you're looking at the autism spectrum and, and trying to soothe your nervous system, if you've got a dysregulated nervous system, pouring gasoline is going to fuck with your neurotransmitters. And that's going to make you even more dysregulated. So for neurodiverse people, it's entirely the wrong thing to do. Entirely, because we're more susceptible to all of that. Oh, absolutely. And I, I just, you know, uh, I've, I've not even looked into whether I have any neurodiversity issues. But I know I've got a, a strong, from all those personality tests you have to do at work, a strong activist streak. So I can't stop myself wanting to react on something. I certainly knew I used to do soothe myself or deal with that through drinking so it would stop me doing things and immediately it didn't stop me writing letters when I was drunk however complaining about it. anyway that's another story entirely um but you know it, it, even in that subtle way I could see I, I can now reflect on how alcohol affected me so for somebody for which neurodiversity is is a big issue and is, is having an impact on their lives you know being able to take some space and time now to, to think about that is really really important what should people do if they think that underneath some of their issues around drinking are, are some issues around neurodiversity? So clearly um, dealing with drinking is one thing. Does it affect the way that you might change your drinking habits or go about changing your drinking habits? And then what happens when you, you're, you're left without the alcohol to cope with, but these issues are all still there underneath? Because often, you know, I think we've all seen it, that people start to change their drinking, bring alcohol out of their diet, and then suddenly all of the shit they've got to deal with is there, living large, and it's, I mean, it's like nice and high definition. is key, you know, getting informed. And I was Googling neurodiversity. There's not a, a UK neurodiversity sort of place, uh, you know, body, but the, the national... Uh, dyslexia society has quite good links to all of the others it seems to be linking and and refer to itself as neurodiverse there's a few good really good resources um i mean you could go private and get try and get diagnoses you know with our kids i mean honest to god cams is not fit for purpose it has no funding and we're still on the wait list we have to go private and then you're into quite expensive kind of treatments and and stuff what from my own experience what I have found most helpful I think get, getting a diagnosis for my son 
gave us access to some post-diagnostic services. So if you can afford it, I think it's 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 worth it because you can kind of go, okay, I'm in, I'm in the area and I can maybe access some support because our support is shit, right? If you're chill, if you're talking about your kids, if they're under eleven, your GP can send you to the CDC Child Development Clinic because some of these are developmental, um, and you might be able to get help help that way if it's for ourselves there's there are some tests you can do online and and for me it depends on the impact on your life right so what we were told when we went to a particular cams meeting because of the wait lists it was like don't wait for a diagnosis necessarily but but deal with the symptoms so what so deal with the symptoms and what the needs are so if you know that, you know, getting um, some support with nervous system regulation, you can learn how to soothe, you can learn how to calm yourself. Like I've mentioned the Blurt Foundation before who have great free resources. They're a mental health charity, um, CIC. And, the, you know, that sort of sensory, sensory awareness, your sensory toolkit, those kind of good practices just to keep you reg- regulated. Um, and sort of keep you out of fight, flight, down, regulate your nervous system. Am I making sense? I'm using sort of, yeah, sort of big, big words. But, yeah, I think you get get the picture. Um, yeah, and I think that there are some support groups out there. There are some support groups on Facebook. It is a bit like piecing it all together at the moment. And I wish I could just go, you know what, just go here and this mm-hmm. will fix it. And this is amazing. That's but okay. I think. It yeah, is, you're changing your drinking as well. You need to mm. poke around a bit, read everything, find some groups, find out where you feel comfortable as well. So yeah, right, the resource could be better, but yeah, you. I mean, I think yeah, I think what I've I've learned through because I'm still unsure about my son where where he is or whether he is going to be diagnosed or not but I certainly know that he's super sensitive like me, um, and I know that he likes wrapping himself in blankets and I know that he likes you know being under a weighted blanket so there's a few things and I think the greatest gift for me has been being sober myself because I've learned to forgive myself and to you know love the differences in me rather than trying to like fit myself in a box like everyone else I've kind of found my way of my own people you know and and sober friends that it's just like they just see me as I am and that gives me the gift to see my kids as individuals too you know and we we were talking before we had a bereavement in the last couple of days and just watching my kids process it has been incredibly interesting you know my daughter who I would say is you know neuronormative if that's if that's the right the right way you know neurotypical neurotypical you know she just she needed a cuddle she needed to talk about it and then she moved on you know and she sort of process it in her own way talk to her friends and and that was it whereas my son you know needs a lot more managing through the process and he needs to be able to talk about it he needs sort of metaphors and he needs to understand things that you know I mean my husband said yesterday I think he could really do with sort of having some spirituality because he needs to believe in something bigger than 
to fit to make sense because it hurts so much more to him so you know it's fascinating in in that sense of just me being sober and learning about myself has given me the gift mm-hmm. to go okay you two are individual kids and him being in a school you know French school system is incredibly academic so it's that kind of constant watch and being like you know he he doesn't like to read you know, and I love to read for a really long time. That really bothered me. And now it's like, okay, you don't like to read, but you're brilliant at sport, you know? And that's only because I've been sober myself and been able to see my strengths and not put myself down that I can now look at him and go, you don't want to read. That's fine. You're Mm. brilliant at sport, like brilliant. Let's just, you know, concentrate on that. And so I think as a parent, you know, there are, the sort of access to actual support is is limited right now um but yeah knowing that if you are present and and alcohol free yourself and you know sort of looking at your own personal development that's going to really help your kids you know yeah and I, yeah. I think I see a really strong um theme here which is for everybody really which is that when you decide that you're going to take yourself out of the mainstream of drinking which is what it is it's a socialized normative behavior then you need to allow yourself to to express and accept your individuality the individuality that may have brought you to drinking to begin with which could be you know anything from around your sexuality to your mental health to um your quirks or the fact that your favorite hobby is making jigsaws right it really doesn't matter there are things that we thought that, that we might have been bullied about or shamed about when we were younger that means we want to hide them. But once you begin to take alcohol out of your your life, you need to learn to accept that individual you. And mm. that takes some sitting and reflecting, like you said, Mandy, understanding who you are and how you tick and giving yourself permission to say, that's okay, this is how I am. And, and I'm not going to compromise anymore on some mm. things that are important to me. And there'll be other things you will compromise on. That then allows you to see everybody else as an individual. Um, it's part of, what we talked about in the you know the Black Lives Matter protest last year, which is I think without alcohol in your system, you not only become yourself, but you understand a lot more about accepting other people and their role in the world, and understanding where where small and subtle actions can um, have a real impact on people, and we can begin to act differently. And so it, it's a great gift, but it does need some work, doesn't it? How might, <laughs> how might people go about? Uh, dealing with some of that work that helps them express themselves as an individual, um, that reflection they might need to do, which then helps them lose as well. Well, again, if we're talking about this particular thing, I do think it's important to, as these things are emerging, to see how much impact it's having on you. Because there are those things like, okay, well, I could listen to Tara Bracken, work on my self-compassion, and go for an all walk there's that level of things that are going to be good for you anyway but if you have emerging mental health issues you know you might need antidepressants if you realize that wowzers i really am i this this inattentivity or i can't slow my brain down or blah 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 blah, blah. maybe you do need to talk to your gp and look at some kind of adhd stuff you might need medication you i think you you need to celebrate your strengths like as well so don't necessarily pathologize yourself but go ah okay 
it's okay. I'm not going to freak out. I may be getting rid of alcohol. Isn't the panacea or panacea, whatever you say, that the, the magic one that makes everything brilliant, like there may have been factors why you drank drink. There will be, right? So there could be shame. There could be trauma. There could be neurodiversity. Like you say, there's all of these pieces in a puzzle. And for me, it will be get connected. Like you said, find your group so that you have support to work it out because we're all working this shit out, aren't we? And we've got to work it out together. You can always send up a flare. I know that people can talk to you at Club Soda, but if you've got stuff around this about neurodiversity and stuff, you can email us at info at Love Sober too. I have got some resources which I can give you as well to start looking around. In the blog that goes with this if people are listening. 100%. I'll send, I'll send you all the bits, yeah. Yeah, I think it's that thing of just um, once you, I mean, we always say like shame dies when it's shared in safe spaces. You know, it's one of my favorite quotes. And and it is that thing of when you just go, oh, like, I'm not sure about any of this, but this is me. And then you get mirrored back like, it's okay. We're all a bit wonky over, you know, in this corner of the world. And that's, you know, that's, I mean, when I went back to drinking, because, you know, both Kate and I, we we did a, about a year and then we were thought we were the only person in the world that can moderate and, you know, went back to moderation and do. that horrible, horrible, horrible sort of um, hamster wheel that moderation is. Um, and the thing that, that drew me back was belonging. It was like when I first connected with sober communities and I f- first started sharing my my sort of story slowly but surely very very timidly and anonymously at the beginning I felt seen for the first time in my life and when I went back to drinking I lost that Um, Mm -hmm. and that's why it's so amazing there's so many communities now because you might be listening and being like I ruined it because I went back to drinking I can't go back to them because they'll Mm -hmm. say I told you so or whatever but a they won't you know they never will because they've been there themselves but Another thing is there's so many other places you can go, you know, and and just be like, hi, I'm new. You know, this is me. And people will be like, hooray, congratulations. You know, let's support you. Like, what do you need? And that's what's been that's for me is, I mean, me and you, Laura, are both that kind of activist spirit and and Kate too, you know, it's and it that that sense of belonging and having common purpose or meaning um, is is brilliant about that's quite adhd by the way (laughs) just to let you know that one of the positives is entrepreneurial stuff and and activism it's a real strength trait of adhd but you know i i i I, uh, the year after giving up drinking really is like 100 little epiphanies because i learned um so much about myself like the feelings i was having but, you know, I'm nearly nine years alcohol free and I will tell you that I am still learning about myself and I'm still learning about what makes me tick and I'm still having epiphanies and none of that would be possible without a firm basis mm. of being sober. Mm. The minute I introduce alcohol back into my diet, I just know that I would lose that ability to have some perspective. And, mm. you know, I was chatting to UC the other day around um, my interactions with not non-fiction podcasting and things like that because I've got some academic hang-ups because I hated university. So that's one thing. But the other is I realize that whenever I listen to or read anything that's non-fiction, 
I feel like I needed to have taken notes and remembered it somehow. And I don't have that sort of memory. I needed to have taken an action. And you said, you do know you don't have to do that. You can just listen to it and <laughs> what you do. You don't have to remember it. And other people don't. <laughs> take an action. Oh, I don't have to take notes. I'm suddenly right. Oh, okay. I'll just listen to it then. <laughs> and it's like I'm exactly the same. I'm like, I can't, but I can't. How can I go and listen to that outside on a walk? But like, I don't have a notepad. Mm. <laughs> like, how am I supposed to sort? Of, how am I supposed to re- retain what Gabo Marte is saying? Like, you know, if I don't listen to it with a highlighter pen, I'm not, but... I can't take enough notes, and then I know I'll never read back the notes. And then I'm looking. <laughs> yeah. If what if somebody asks me, it's okay. I I can get a gist. And it adds into the bank of knowledge that's in there. But I can tell you that that's a new revelation for me. And, you know, so so everyone's stuck with it. There may, you know, some things may take time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And the best things often do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we are we are all a work in progress. There is no such thing as yeah. perfection. Society has yeah. told us for many years that perfection exists. And it's normally in the shape of a, a white man as well. But um uh, it isn't. And so we should embrace our imperfections totally and all of our differences hugely. So, and I want mm. to give anyone listening to this podcast permission to be yourself um, and and allow your the things that are unique to you to shine and, and not um, feel shame about them at all. Yeah. Um, are there any other um, bits you want to add in order to, di- to direct people to use <clears throat> I know you've given a lot of resources already and we'll share those in the blog. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll share them in, in the blog. Um, Dr. Russell Barkley is brilliant on ADHD and explaining executive function of the brain. Irene Lyon is an amazing somatic practitioner that is more about trauma, but all of that nervous system regulation and autonomic nervous system is very appropriate for highly sensitive people and anyone on the autistic spectrum. Um so that's really good. There's also a book, if you've got kids, called My Hidden Chimp, which really explains very well about how we go into fight flight and what bits of our brain are working and has really practical resources. So that's really good as well. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Those will be my tips. And I think the other thing I want to invite everyone is to make comments, um, engagements on this issue. This is certainly a first discussion. I'm really pleased that Mandy and Kate have uh, begun to dig a bit deeper into this and look at this because it's definitely um, a piece of the jigsaw that's important for the community. You know, there's only so many, um, you know, self-care techniques that we can talk about. Um, Underneath it all, there's some real dig deep. uh, deep digging that's needed and and that's not always very easy and definitely the neurodiversity um piece is something that i've seen a huge amount of and and also depends huge amounts around mental health so can mm-hmm. i thank you for your time and your brilliance today tell um everybody where they can sit, find you um so yeah you can listen to the podcast love sober dot com uh love sober podcast you can find us at info at love sober dot com or love sober dot com just love sober google that yeah you know i nearly right. said to people where they can see you and i corrected myself because coronavirus has changed my language totally <laughs> Hopefully we'll never see each other ever again. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, and obviously we 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 re, um, published a book last year, so that's about self care for mm. busy mothers. So there's a lot of those kind of practical tips if you, yeah, especially if you are dealing with you know complex needs within the home. Um, I think we all need some help. So that's called love yeah. yourself. Care sober. for the care. So, 
sorry love yourself sober I, I got I got in there yeah it was care for the carer goes back to that again doesn't it yeah guys um with the three of us here we haven't talked over each other more in this podcast I think we should congratulate ourselves on managing that um and uh, let's have a conversation about this again soon certainly I'd really love it if you could um in you know bring some interviews to us of people who might have been um through a journey of self-discovery through all of this as well there's a lot more to explore thank Mm. you so much thanks laura podcast is brought to you by club soda you can find out more about what we do on joinclubsoda.com and on our social handles at join club soda